Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, and Weehawken, New Jersey, and somebody's backyard, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, Paula has watched every episode of Perry Mason multiple times, but how much does she really know about our legal system? Here's a hint. She thinks jurisprudence is a famously judgmental woman. University of Michigan law professor and former U.S. attorney Barbara McQuaid is here to lay down the law about laying down the law. Not so smart now, are you, Prudence? Plus, they said it, and now we're saying they said it. It's the return of our quote party. I'm Adam Felber, the man who combs through every shred of verbal evidence, meticulously building a case for conversational clarity. And now, please welcome the woman who was last seen in the conservatory with a knife, slicing our dialogue to ribbons and leaving a trail of shredded premises and dead avenues in her wake. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, if you care at all about coherent discourse, I submit that you must vote to convict. Paula Poundstone! Hey! How are you guys? Welcome, Paula! Good. Thanks, Adam. Bonnie, good to have you with us from Weehawken, Adam. And oh, thanks, thanks to tonight's house band, Max Bouvry from Los Angeles on the electric guitar. It sounds great, Max. Thank you Go very Max. much. Max, thank you. Yeah. Paula Poundstone, what is new in Poundstoneville? Well, you know, Adam, I never have any time. I have not had time to go to the grocery store in, I think it's been a month. And, uh... Last night for dinner, I had an elderly vegan hot dog that's, I mean, literally been in there probably for six months on a piece of raisin bread uh, with vegan A's. And I got to tell you, it was gross. It, it was. The good, <laughs> the good news is I, I don't feel like eating anymore. Well, that's good. I mean, that's... Uh... That's a diet tip for any of you out there. Eat something gross and you won't feel like eating anymore. Yeah, I just, you know, I mean, I I still eat candy, but but just overall, I don't, as soon as I ate that, I was like, boy, I don't need to eat anything again for a while, I think. Well, Um, I don't think they should be advertising with that, but uh, you might consider the Poundstone diet. Oh my gosh. Marketing that. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if we could get those products to advertise on our show? And I, and then when they say like, you know, host, <laughs> host gives personal you know, experience. Endorsement. Say, yeah. Yeah. Right. I ate the, I ate the vegan hot dog on raisin bread with vegan A's and boy, it must've been filling. Cause I haven't been feeling like eating for days. <laughs> Adam, you know, our producer, Tyler. Yes, I do. He's a great guy. And we've worked together before. And, Salt of and, the earth. What's weird is I keep screwing up his name, and it's well, so. What part? You just said Tyler. I know, but a lot of times I don't. 
Like if he was right in front of me and I went to introduce him, I wouldn't. I would say, I forget what I called him the other day. Another, it was another T name. I might've called him Tony uh, or Tabitha, but I don't. So he called me. I can't remember. Was it this morning or yesterday morning? I don't remember anymore, but um, I don't either. I answered the phone (laughs) and then uh, I went to let the dogs out or maybe a dog was already out. Maybe that was it. I answered the phone. I talked to him briefly. Then I went to bring a dog back in my dog, Mo, and I opened the door and I yelled, Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That is some displacement of names. Um, yeah. Tyler, are, are you there? Can you step up I, to the microphone? I am here. Yes, Tyler the human is here. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Tyler human. Uh, not to be confused Tyler, with Tyler sit. Paula's dog. <laughs> no, Paula, that's not the dog. <laughs> Tyler, can you just Hi. intone your name into the microphone nice and sure. slow? Yeah, my name is Tyler Burke. Oh, no, I, 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 it's not that I don't know that. It's that when I panic, I can't, I can't do it. But it was the weirdest thing. Nobody else was around me. I was all by myself. It was early in the morning. I throw the door open and I yell, <laughs> Tyler. And I heard you. Yeah. Did your ears perk up and you started yeah. running towards the house? I Good tried. boy. Good were boy, dis- Tyler. Were you disappointed about the treat that never came? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm yeah. still okay. waiting. I'm still sitting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good for you. Don't chew your paws. I've told you before, don't chew your paws. Chew you know, they, paws. They, they, we learned from that dog trainer we had on a while ago that, that dogs should be able to chew their paws. Um, It's my dog, Mo. That's pretty much what she does. Oh, yeah. If it's she, it's habits, like her hobby. No. You know, yeah. it's when she's done, you know, on the rare occasion on which I won't throw the ball for her anymore. She goes, that's OK. I'll just come in and chew on my paw for a while. Oh, see, just that's resentful. Anything that make a spitty suckling sound she enjoys. Yike. This is what it's like to live with my dog. Well, now we're all living with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Speaking of living with it, let's go around our now conspicuously shorter horn to see how everybody's doing. Let's see. We've got me and up there in the Simi Valley, we've got our producer, your manager. We all love her. Captain Crinkle, Bonnie Burns. Bonnie, how are you and where are you this week? Okay, well, I'm out here in my backyard on the lawn furniture and I'm actually sweating my ass off because... The umbrella has blown over where now the sun's on us. And I was looking forward to having like my dogs around me. And one of them got so hot, he ran in the house. And oh my God, now the umbrella's I'm worried. It sounds like it's a little windy there too, Bonnie. Is it windy? It's, it, it is. The umbrella's like the leaning tower of pizza. <laughs> Bonnie, are, it sounds like you're about to interview some some black-clad nannies. Uh, yes. It sounds like you know that part of Mary Poppins where they're all blow away with their umbrellas. Oh, really? Do I sound you're about funny to, too? Or you're about to interview some surfers who are like, no, this is when there's the best waves. I'm not going in. Yeah, and the dog, you know, I have litter mates. The dog that's left is laying on the pillow next to me and going, because <laughs> she's in the bright sun. <laughs> well, tell her, her. tell her that my dog Mo says, oh, okay. that's funny. <laughs> Can't yeah, they just yeah. send their own messages? Don't they have a podcast by this point? Doesn't everybody? No, they have, uh, they have a dog version of Tinder. I oh, am okay. relaxed, but I want to tell you, here's two stories. 
So one well, did I ask her if she was relaxed? By the way, I don't remember that. Nor did okay, I ask ahead. her for two stories, but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Bonnie. Okay, I planned on being relaxed. Oh, uh huh. All right. So here's my two stories. So I was over at Sixteen Gun Sally's this weekend, and yeah. I hadn't had anything to eat all day, so I bought. Oh my God, <laughs> just shifted in the other direction. And you know, it's tilted because it's got that kind of umbrella top that you can tilt I to keep the sun out I feel like we're eyes. not doing the story anymore. That's <laughs> even blow more like tilt. Bonnie, you okay. got like five words into the story. Okay. Yeah. So, the end of the story is going to be, and she was impaled by an umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm over at 16 Gun Sally's, and we decided we'd all bring our own food. So I bring, like, this vegetarian patty, and I go to make it, and now I'm really starving because I hadn't eaten all day. I just had coffee, and I'm putting on a piece of bread, and I think, oh, this seems so dry. So I go look and my friend's refrigerator and I see this jar of jam and I think you know maybe jam instead of like mustard would be interesting with a veggie burger so I put some jam on the bread and the veggie burger and I go out and I go look you guys I bet this would be really good and guess what no what (laughs) it wasn't (laughs) no it really wasn't yeah doesn't it sound like it maybe could be a new, like, taste sensation? Like when you're in restaurants no. and they go, oh, it's a cranberry roumelade with no. a, you know, duck no. thing on a pheasant. Uh-uh. No. Not really. <laughs> no, not really. No, nobody thinks Plus, so. Plus, you got to figure, right? McDonald's has full-time food laboratory. Absolutely right. And they serve jelly and they make burgers. Yeah. And so at some point, somebody there in the lab, maybe not even a top technician, must have thought, what if you put jelly on the burger? So I think it's been tried. <laughs> it must have been because it seems like a natural. Who wouldn't want to advertise, have a jam burger? Yeah. It's not a hamburger. It's a jam burger. But they <laughs> Ooh, haven't done idea. that. They haven't done that because it sucks, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, Adam... Saying jam burger just reminded me, which I think is a really commercial idea. You did a hell of a job with writing that opening today. Oh, thank you. Um, wow. Uh, that's, that was really uh, clever. Was it, did so you nice say of hell you. of a job? I thought, yeah. it was, I thought it was the second George Bush talking for a second. No, I feel hell like of a I, job, like, Brownie. Hell of a I job. I feel like I was just called into the police commissioner's office. I think I was getting a brow beating for breaking the rules and playing by my own rules. And all the commissioner's just like, good job, Adam. Get back yeah. out there. That's fantastic. That was, Thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, that was very high praise. Yeah. yeah. My legs are burning off right now. The sun's directly on them. And we're back. What? Okay, wait. <laughs> I have something else to say. Okay, yeah. so I had to get a physical today. So okay. I go in. I had to see somebody at the last minute. So I go in. It was this really young doctor, and he kept saying Bonnie, Bonnie for everything, which, you know, I think they tell him like in medical school, use the person's name. And I was like in the gown. I was debating like, I was thinking, if he says my name one more time, like, Bonnie, have you had this? Bonnie, I see this. I I might have to shoot him. Like, I thought, should I just say to him, you know, could you not call me by my name? 
could you stop calling me by my name? But I couldn't get the nerve up to say it to him. Well, Bonnie, why do you think, okay. Bonnie, that you were not able, Bonnie, to let the doctor know, Bonnie, that you didn't want him, uh, Bonnie, to use your name anymore? Bonnie, Bonnie, do you have any thoughts about that, Bonnie? Bonnie, Bonnie, okay. one Bonnie? of the things that I think of when you tell that fascinating story, Bonnie, is two things. One thing is your legs must be frying right now, Bonnie. And Absolutely, the other Bonnie. thing I think about is... When you say you'd have to shoot him, which is Bonnie. such an awful image, um, were you not in the gown? Do they have a holster in the gown now? Is, is that how bad our country has gotten? Okay, I was going to take the shoot part out, but now... I would hope so. Because I thought it was kind of unsympathetic. Well, you know, part. I just want listeners to know that we are not a show that advocates gun violence. Well, Bonnie wanted to increase sympathy for herself, Bonnie, and so she yeah. she fantasized about shooting her doctor. Adam, I'm not sure that that's how Bonnie would be able to increase sympathy for herself, Bonnie. For Bonnie, Adam. Yeah. Well, Paula, Paula, I don't want to speak Adam. for Bonnie, Paula, but Bonnie is talking about a, Bonnie's doctor, and Paula, you're from the outside because Paula's never met Bonnie's doctor, right, Bonnie? No. What? <laughs> you know, let's continue our journey around the hall. That was a that was that was a, a, a great. I just want to say moment. one more thing, and it's not okay. in response to anything that's been said yet. I just want to say that we've recently learned that Trump was seriously considering martial law um, in the last days of his presidency. And a lot of people are angry about that or upset. And I just want to say that I think we totally misunderstood. We're thinking he's saying martial law, but it's Marsha law he was talking oh, about, which Marcia. is Jan, Jan and Cindy have to use the bathroom after oh. uh, after Marsha and the boys have to sit on the other side of the living room. And if Marsha gives you her crocheted sweater vest, you better not run for class president against her. That's, that's not so Marcia law. Yeah, exactly. That's, so that's I just okay. want to very different. I never thought I would come to Trump's defense, but I really felt like I needed to no, there no, I, over I, the I Marsha law. Yeah, Marsha okay, law is not Paula. nearly as harsh. Okay, Bonnie? Adam. Bonnie. Adam. Bonnie. Paula. 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 Bonnie. That was good, Paula. Adam. Okay, Thank you, Adam. Adam. Thank you, Bonnie. Okay. Thank you, Paula. Paula. Okay, Adam, Adam, over to you. All right, Bonnie. All right. Okay. So, guys, what trip around the horn would be complete without an update from our dear absent friend, Tony Anita Hull? Have we now, heard from you, her? Well, we have. If you remember, she tried to row out to that cruise ship, right? Yes, and she ended yes. up being picked up by some pirate vessel off of the coast of Mexico and ended up doing accounting for them. And last we heard from her, she and her friend were going to try to escape in a rubber dinghy and uh, make it to Panama where her new friend had a cousin. And I thought yeah. that was all we're going to hear from Tony. But right here in Weehawken, where I'm staying with my sister, we received a crate of bananas this morning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and at the top of the crate of bananas was a note. Can I read it to you? Please. Okay, here. Hey, guys. Wow. I miss you all and the show. Not much oh my is gosh, happening it's from Tony. Here. It's from Tony Anita Hall. Oh, my gosh. 
Teresa and I managed to escape that pirate ship where I was doing some light accounting, and we made it to Panama on a raft and her cousin's place. Turns out her cousin, Esteban Ruiz, owns the largest coffee plantation here in the Chiriqui Highlands, where the elevation of 2,300 to 3,500 feet makes it perfect for growing the popular Arabica, Arabica coffee bean, sharp, fragrant, and mildly acidic. Wow, will I have stuff for the next potluck info party or what? Anyway, it's no big deal, but Esteban was really impressed with my vocabulary, especially when I said I don't want to inveigh against his competitor, but he seems to be a bit of a rebarbative ultra-crepidarian on the subject of coffee beans. Esteban liked that a lot, and we became best buds, and no big deal. Now we're married, and I'm helping run the coffee plantation. LOL, so I guess that vocabulary song really came in handy. Anyway, miss you guys. Tell Bonnie I'll be finding show descriptions from the email bin ASAP, and I'll be back as soon as I can. To be honest, Esteban can be a little clingy, so hopefully I'll be back sooner rather than later. Love, Tony. Wow. Yeah. I don't. Th- I I have not met anybody that's been that influenced by the vocabulary song. So that part is especially touching, and yeah. she and and Bonnie loves coffee. So I'm just hoping. Um, I mean, I imagine if Bonnie went for a physical of any sort, what they found Arabica was coffee. Coffee. What kind? Arabica coffee. It's Arabica. Uh, Bonnie looked up the pronunciation for me. Yeah, I, I didn't know Bonnie. I just got this letter. Yeah. Yeah, why would you know that? You haven't taken the same sojourn that Tony Anita Hull has. She's why been on a journey. But Paula, I've got bad news. Like right what? before we started taping, I got a shipment of coffee here at my sister's house with a very yeah. small note, also from Tony. Do you want to hear it? Yes. Okay. Hey, guys, no big deal, but Esteban's competitor totally didn't like being called ultra-crepidarian. So long story short, Esteban was found at the bottom of the Rio Plantanal this morning. I'm bummed, but I hardly knew him. So long story short, I now own a giant coffee plantation. Oh, my God, right? So that happened. Anyway, more soon, Tony. Oh, my gosh. You know, she'd always she'd always talked about having a lot of adventures, I yeah. love how she's just reaching out and grabbing it. Wait until she uses the nose Frida on one of these guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Adam. Yeah, Paul. Um, I'm so touched that Tony uh, has used so many of the vocabulary words. And it reminds me, I have a yes. word. What? Perfect segue. Who saw that coming? <laughs> Go ahead, Paula. I do. I have a word. It's abjure. It's a verb that means to swear to give up a belief or a claim. Uh, here, I'll use it in a family setting. Honey, how was school today? I didn't have school today. It's summer, but I looked up a word. It's abjure. It's a verb that means to swear to give up a belief or a claim. We don't talk like that around here. Now pass the potatoes. <laughs> This is a good word. I'm putting it right into the vocabulary song. And if I can't remember it, I may abjure the vocabulary song. No. Oh, no. Oh, uh uh-oh. Nice. 
Sometimes that red key is just right there next to that green key. Too tempting. This week's word is abjure. It's a verb that means swear to give up a belief or a claim. Come back to earth. QAnon's pretty lame. Last week's word was pangendrum. It's a noun that means a person who has or claims to have a great deal of authority or influence. Yes, tell us more. You're so powerful, Mr. Mike Pence. The week before that, the word was indolent. It's an adjective that means wanting to avoid activity or exertion. Lazy. People who get up in the morning are crazy. Going back before that, the word was sagacious. It's an adjective that means having or showing good judgment. Not catching a Cirque du Soleil show in Las Vegas instead of choosing to pay rent. And not long ago, we had captious. It's an adjective that means tending to find fault or raise petty objections. The January 6th commission is too soon. It's too late. It's too broad. It's too narrow. It'll interrupt Trump's erections. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, 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 but I do, I do, I do, I do. Fantastic, Paula. Oh my Paula gosh, Tomstone. it feels so good. good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it feels so good to to rip off a perfect vocabulary song like that. It just does. No, you, you were shredding on the Glock too. Thank you. Yeah, coming up, Thomas Hobbes said, "It is not wisdom, but authority that makes the law." To which Mrs. Hobbes said, "See, this is why we never get invited to parties." We'll take the measure of the law next on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because oh, when oh my Helix gosh. first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and yeah. she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, 
How will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix sleep quiz, and you find your perfect mattress match in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, You know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. (laughs) (laughs) Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while, we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of a midsummer night's dream okay and i played i played peter quince there there's the connection one of the mechanicals that's a great connection also yes has nothing to do with this which is that um quince is an online clothing store and as you know paula i've uh, i've lost a little weight lately oh right 75 pounds yeah so i literally have no clothes that are in my size until i just ordered some stuff at quince and i figured like here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself A whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. These are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft (laughs) and and so comfortable that honestly like right as i got them up to my waist i i I think my eyes closed they're so it's a softness it's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that too. Like so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. 
Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. They're oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. Of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. Wynn sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. That's fantastic. <laughs> so be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They man. cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Theodore Geisel said, honey, what rhymes with hat? <laughs> Thank you, house band Max Bouvery. Hey, Paula Poundstone, you here with me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait till we get to do this in person again. Hey, it's no secret that long before the rest of the world discovered binge watching, you were way ahead of the curve with your obsessive attachment to a certain TV attorney. Well, for years, you know, on my contract with uh, theaters, I had that in the hotel, they had to give me a VCR because I brought my Perry Mason VHS tapes with me. I belonged to the Perry Mason Columbia House Videotape Club for it's years. It's a small club. Yeah, it's yeah. a small club. They used to have dedicated. meetings, but when I joined, they stopped having meetings. Um, oh. Anyway, so I have, yes, it's true. I, it's how I used to fall asleep. It's how I used to write, is I would put on a Perry Mason videotape with two episodes, and when it got to the end, I would just push the button to play again and again and again. So how, how many times do you feel like you've seen every episode of Perry Mason? Some I've probably seen over a thousand times, and then there are some that, you know, in the hundreds somewhere. Wow. And through all that, what have you learned about jurisprudence? She is a bitch. No, 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 Paula Pounce now, now, come on. What do you know about the... <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if I picked up any actual legal knowledge from Perry Mason, which troubles me because I really want to catch a killer. Well, you're in luck, Paula, because we have here an expert in Perry Mason's very field. She is a law professor at the University of Michigan, former U.S. attorney, and co-host of the very informative and entertaining podcast, Hashtag Sisters in Law. Welcome, Barbara McQuaid. Yay! Thank you so much, Paula. Adam, wonderful to be with you. I'm so excited that you are here. I listen to your podcast over and over again, you know, because I'm hoping to get a degree from listening to you and from watching Perry Mason's. 
I'm wondering how well trained I am in the actual law, though. Um, For example, in the episode I was watching last night, the prosecutor, Hamilton Berger, objected when Perry asked a witness a question because he said Perry was asking about something that Hamilton Berger had not yet brought out in his questioning. And Perry explained to the judge how it was something connected to what Hamilton had brought up. Is that a thing anyways? Because... Did you used to say like, oh, he's asking something I didn't ask about? Actually, it is a thing. It's um, it is. It, it is. Um, typically, the cross examination is not supposed to exceed the scope of the direct examination. The point oh. of the cross examination is simply to um, uh, sort of expose any biases in the witness or get the jury to think that what he said perhaps is not true or that he had, you know, poor ability to observe. And so typically you would object as the question goes beyond the scope of direct. And then the defense attorney has their chance to call their own witnesses in their case in chief later. But I will tell you, Paula, as a prosecutor, you know, my biases are uh, in that arena. Oftentimes I work very hard to adhere to those rules to stay within the scope And I'd say, you know, objection. This question exceeds the scope of the direct examination. And the defense attorney would just look at the judge and say something like, but your honor, it's cross-examination. And the judge would give him a long look and say, I'll allow it, but only on a short leash. Yeah, you know, (laughs) they give him like a stern look, but they still allow it. So that's that's my perspective. Now, certainly when someone's liberty is at stake, I can understand why judges are sometimes making sure that the defendant gets a fair trial. Well, you know, I don't know if this would be admissible in court, but you could have a DVD of Perry Mason and push it and show the judge how uh, the judge in Perry Mason responded. And how maybe a real fake it. judge would respond. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a real <laughs> fake judge. All right. Hamilton Berger often claims that Perry is badgering the witness or making a mockery of the courtroom or turning the courtroom into a circus in which... In which cases did you accuse the defense of the same thing, Barb? Well, I don't know that I ever use those exact words, um, but I will tell you that, uh, again, you know, these are my biases as a prosecutor. Um, I was always trained, let the facts speak for your case. You don't need to use gimmicks. You don't need to use anything to generate outrage with the jury. Just, you know, state the facts and use them to persuade the jury that the defendant is guilty. The most outrageous thing I ever saw where I thought the defense was maybe going a little bit too far was when a defense attorney tried to use a box of 64 Crayola crayons as an in-court identification lineup for a car. It went something like this, uh, you know, asking the witness to a bank robbery, I have marked this box of Crayola crayons as defendant's exhibit uh, number uh, one, and I'm asking you to please look at these 64 crayons and identify for the jury the color of the car that you saw at the scene of the bank that day. Um, wow. And the witness wow. said, why, why? I, I don't know, maybe maybe that one. And so then the lawyer, you know, pulled out the crayon and said, aha, let the record reflect that the witness has chosen burnt sienna. Oh, I knew it was going to be burnt sienna. When in fact, my client's car. I knew it was raw umber. Oh, oh, I figured wow. it was either Burnt Sienna or Periwinkle. It had to be one of those two. But there are so um, few Periwinkle cars out there, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Burnt Sienna was big in the, you know, in the 70s and 80s. Absolutely. But but Periwinkle has gone the way of Perry Mason as a car color. (laughs) 
Paramason is a perennial. It's it's never going to go away because it's brilliant. As far as I know, it's the first um, television show of that genre, which has continued, you know, forever and ever and ever. Um, all right. What's the harshest thing that a judge ever said, you know, to either the prosecution yourself or to the defense attorney in a courtroom? Well, judges can be very stern. They don't like it when lawyers waste their time. I've heard judges uh, scold lawyers for asking too many questions or being too long-winded. I can remember a time when uh, it was actually the defense attorney who said something rather harsh. I was quite visibly pregnant at the time and out of the presence of the jury. It was a child exploitation case involving the transmission of child pornography And the defense attorney said to the judge, I object to the prosecutor being visibly pregnant. I think it will prejudice the jury. And the judge looked a little surprised and just asked me, well, how do you respond, counsel? And I looked at the defense attorney, who was himself a bit overweight. And I said, Your Honor, I promise not to say anything about a defendant's weight if if he doesn't say anything about mine. Oh, snap. (laughs) And then you won the case, walked out of the courtroom and took that pillow out of your shirt. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Wow. Because the judge will occasionally get angry in Perry Mason. And by the way, one of the judges, I think, also used to be in the... um, Three Stooges, but that's neither here nor there. Um, There are no coincidences, Paula. (laughs) Prosecutors don't believe in coincidences. Oh, do they not? Yeah, that's a common phrase. Prosecutors like to say, you know, when there's a coincidence, they say there are no coincidences. Prosecutors don't believe in coincidence. Let's get to the bottom of that. And sometimes it turns out to just be a coincidence. Oh, I was wondering if that was like a, a throughout your life you felt. But no, it turns out there are. Now, let me ask you, you're a prosecutor. So you prosecutors usually don't bring cases unless you really think you got something, right? Yep. Okay. How often does it happen that you've got a case, you're prosecuting it, and based on what's happening in court, you're like, oh, maybe I'm wrong. I've never had that happen, Adam. And I never. think one reason is because of this. I think that there are many courts around the country where the dockets are so crowded The caseloads are so crushing that prosecutors are bringing cases where they have not yet had a chance to fully explore the record. Uh, And the same is true of defense attorneys who are outstanding but overworked um, and don't have the luxury of time to give cases the full attention they deserve because we do not fund criminal defense in our country or even prosecution the way it needs to be. In the federal system, though, where I practiced, we have the luxury of time. And so our cases are first presented to a grand jury and so if there's any problem in a case, it gets weeded out at that stage. The grand jury mm-hmm. will see it and fail to return an indictment or, you know, the the best uh, check on a prosecutor, I think, is a prosecutor's own ego, because the last thing you want to do is lose a case in court. And so if you think that the defendant is not guilty or even if you think they're guilty, but you can't prove it with evidence of guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, you're not going to bring that case. And so I think for that reason, we win a lot of most of our cases and we have not had that situation where, you know, during the trial, we discovered that they were uh, not guilty. How oh. awful does it feel to lose a case? Is it like athletes feel when they lose the playoffs? Yeah, especially because, as we often say, prosecutors win when justice prevails. And if you lose your case, you know, because you got a not guilty verdict and justice prevailed, that's fine. But I lost a couple that I thought I should have won, uh, where I thought the defendant should have been convicted. I lost one where there was both a confession and fingerprints on the gun. And oh, my gosh. That case, oh. yeah. Well, now that I hear how bad it feels to lose a case, I'm starting to really feel bad for Hamilton Berger. <laughs> yeah, me too. 
Well, I wouldn't feel too bad about Paula because remember that when he lost cases, it's because the real killer stood up in court and confessed. And so if if justice is done, then um, you can feel good about the outcome of those cases. You know what? Hamilton said that just last night. (laughs) He had written an article in a law book, you know, a law magazine or whatever it was. Journal. A law journal. Thank you. And Perry cited (laughs) it at the dinner table because Hamilton came over to congratulate Perry Mm -hmm. and the others were surprised. And Perry said, "Uh, Della, uh, in such and such a law journal, there was an article written that said when, uh, you know, uh, a, a case has been well run when justice prevails. And that was written by Hamilton Berger. <laughs> yeah. See, if I had been sitting at Perry Mason's table and Hamilton Berger had walked by, I would have gone, loser, loser, loser. Wow, that's, but that's just uncalled for. That's yeah, just I'm sure it feels a lot worse to be the defendant who loses a case. So I think prosecutors try to keep that in perspective, that someone's liberty is at stake and it is very important to show respect to everybody in the process. So I, I refrain from using that kind of language, You're Paula. so reasonable. Well, you know, Al Gore once said, when you have the facts on your side, argue the facts. When you have the law on your side, argue the law. When you have neither, holler. (laughs) We will do what we do best, argue and holler, when we return. The Cat of the Week is Fuzzy Bo from Scapoose, Oregon. with Barbara McQuaid. Paula. You know, Barb, one of the things I really love about your podcast, Hashtag Sisters-in-Law, is that you explain things. And in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of litigation that the nation has been sort of glued to, uh, whether it's Trump stuff or police brutality stuff. And, And I feel like I really have learned a lot about the law from listening. However, I am still behind, and so I've got some very, very basic questions. Um, Here's one. What's civil court? Mm -hmm. Um, So the law is broken down very roughly into kind of two arenas, criminal court and civil court, as you say. Is it one where you can say fuck and then the other you can't? (laughs) That is not how it is is defined. So criminal court is where uh, the person's liberty is at stake. So Charges have been filed criminally that a person has committed a crime, which is a crime against society. Even though there's often an individual victim, it means that society has been harmed. So if, uh, you know, Adam went out and slugged somebody. There's no way you could have seen that. There were no witnesses. That person is is a victim. But really, the victim there is all of society, because we might think that Adam is dangerous. We need to lock him up to protect the public. We might want to deter other people or even Adam from ever doing that again. We might think Adam needs some rehabilitation, like maybe some anger management. And so we consider that a crime against society. But it's also potentially a civil lawsuit. So the victim of the punch in the nose can say, I'm going to file a lawsuit against Adam. And that's between that individual and Adam. And that is for money damages. And so they're going to say, uh, you know, you, oh. you committed this tort of assault and battery and I had medical bills and the like, and I want you to pay me $10,000, $100,000, whatever it is for my injuries. And so sometimes they're completely different. You know, you can have an intellectual property civil case that doesn't have a criminal counterpart, but sometimes there is that overlap. What about, I might be wrong about this, but I thought like that in, say, for example, the OJ case Mm -hmm. where he was found not guilty Mm -hmm. 
in the criminal court, but wasn't he held up for something in the civil court? Yep. Perfect example. So the conduct in that case was the same in the criminal case and the civil case, the killing of his ex-wife and I think his name was Ron Goldman, the waiter from the restaurant she had been at that night. So in the criminal case, the difference is the standard of proof in a criminal case is guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And it must be found unanimously by 12 jurors. That's a very high standard beyond a reasonable doubt. And so when you have that, uh, you could find somebody to be not guilty under that standard. The standard in a civil case is preponderance of the evidence, which is simply a slight bit more than 50 percent. And you only have to have it by a majority of the jurors. And the juries often are only six people or seven oh. people. So you could have, a, you know, four people could have found by a preponderance of the evidence that, yes, he did it. So that was the civil case where the estate of those two families sued on their behalf for wrongful death. And so that jury, and, you know, sometimes different juries can have different results too. Maybe, you know, different jurors see things different ways. But in the civil case, where they had to find by preponderance of the evidence, they did find that he was, the word isn't guilty, it's liable uh, for those uh-huh. deaths. And he had a money judgment. So the stakes are a little different. It isn't liberty, it's uh, it's money damages. And when you say reasonable, who aren't words like reasonable, which are in a lot of these kinds of um, determinations? Who decides what's reasonable? I love this question because I have been doing this podcast for a couple of years now, and I I can tell you my definition of reasonable has nothing to do with Paula's. <laughs> like not well, even you, ballpark. Paula, you have hit on a concept that is discussed at great length in law school. We spend a lot of time talking about this concept of reasonable doubt, the reasonable person in a negligence case. You know, one time when the law was originally uh, formed, it was about the reasonable man. And when they talked about the reasonable man, who they had in mind was a white man who possessed property and was likely a wealthy man. And so what does he consider reasonable? And is that different uh, from other people in a self-defense situation? You know, you can defend yourself if you are in reasonable fear that the other person is going to kill you. Well, what's reasonable if you're a six foot five, 250 pound man? Is your perception of reasonable different from me, a five foot four woman who weighs blah, 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 pounds? Uh, it's, <laughs> it, it can be very different. But I will say this. I think part of the genius of our Constitution is the use of words like reasonable because they permit the Constitution to evolve over time. You know, there's this whole school of thought that talks about originalism and textualism, which I think personally, is a little bit of a pretext of the right and of conservatives to maintain the status quo and to prevent the law from evolving. But I think the genius of the Constitution was to say that words like reasonable can evolve as times change. For example, the Fourth Amendment says that we are free from unreasonable searches and seizures unless the government gets a warrant. With the evolution of time and technology, we now apply that standard which was written with the idea that, you know, the British troops are rifling through uh, the papers in your house or something. We now mm-hmm. use it for things like wiretaps on our phones or cell site data location. I mean, certainly they didn't contemplate that's what reasonable meant, uh, you know, when the Constitution was enacted. But that word carries with it the ability to think of what are the community standards in current times of what is meant by reasonable. And so judges have to interpret that law. What was the thing that Sidney Powell said in her defense. Yes, and like no reasonable person would have believed that what I was saying was a fact. <laughs> yes. And then she was hard back at it. 
at that like convention or meeting or whatever it was, mm-hmm. the Republican thing where um, Flynn and she were speaking. She was saying the same thing that, according to her, no reasonable person would think these were facts, but they don't stop her from saying it. No. And I think, you know, you can say that sort of stuff on television or in public speaking, but I think she's going to face some comeuppance. Uh, There is currently pending against her in court a sanctions motion from the Michigan attorney general, because before a lawyer files a lawsuit, you must attest that it is well-grounded in fact and law. And this idea that no reasonable, Oof. you know, I, I was just conjecturing and making theory and I intended to prove it. That's not enough. Before you file a lawsuit, you have to do some due diligence. And so I think she's going to have some hard, you ask Paula about what's the harshest thing a judge has ever said. I think we might hear some of those things coming up when she has that hearing in July. Well, Is she headed to what, the slammer? I, could that happen? That's I don't, not going to no, happen. Um, I think... It is monetary damages. There's a a rule called Rule 11 of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure that permits monetary sanctions if a lawyer violates that obligation to investigate and file in good faith that there is a genuine question of law or fact in a a lawsuit. Uh, And so money damages can be assessed if a lawyer fails to do that. so But they'll just in. send out fundraising mail. She won't pay. You know, she's not going to go without a meal or something because she doesn't, you know, because of Rule 11. They're just going to send out a fundraising letter for Trump and, and the money will go to uh, to Sydney. I think she needs to. You know what? I, I'll talk to her. Never mind. I'll take care of it. Okay. Paula, you handle this. Yeah. Now, in recent years, we keep hearing about somebody, Trump specifically, but other people too, breaking policy and norms. For Mm -hmm. example, the discovery that Trump went after his political enemies Mm -hmm. using the Justice Department. And it seems outrageous. It seems like it could bring down our democracy. It seems dangerous. However, it seems like it doesn't break any laws. Yeah. Does it? No. And and that is, uh, I think, one of the things where be careful who you elect as president, because our Constitution recognizes that the president is the head of the executive branch. I think personally that the president is not above the law. I also think that the tool of impeachment is there uh, and removal from office for those abuses of norms, even things that do not constitute violations of the law. I think we saw that system really falling apart when we had Republican members of the Senate refusing to hold Donald Trump accountable on on both of his impeachment occasions. And by the way, I think it's still possible to impeach Donald Trump. It'll never happen because there is still a live remedy available, which is it's not just removal from office, but it is barring him from holding future office. Yeah. You know, I keep thinking that our forefathers that there weren't enough protections in the Constitution. Did they not have assholes back then? Yeah. You know, during all of the the Trump impeachments, there were a lot of quotations from the Federalist Papers that did kind of envision somebody like a Trump. You know, they referred to him as a demagogue who would come in and maybe gin up some popular support. And, you know, people would not really see that he was in it for himself and for personal reasons. And so they did, which is why they created this tool of impeachment, the ability to remove someone from office for abusing his powers. But I think the thing they did not contemplate is the power of the two party structure, which has really come on. And I think that they assumed that the Senate would act in the interest of the country and 
their constituents instead of really siding on the side of their own party, which, you know, we've seen people putting, I think, party over country in in a way that is really distorted what the founders intended. So they just assumed, is there anywhere in the federal papers, do they ever say, um, when you assume you make an ass <laughs> of you and me? Do they Hamilton say that in the federal that papers? Hamilton wrote that one. Was Absolutely. that Hamilton? Okay. That's Hamilton, all right. yeah. Um, all right, Bob, I have one more question. What is the point of a congressional subpoena? Is it just, is it like a, uh, is it like a whoopee cushion? Is it just a fun <laughs> thing to bring up? Well, I mean, it was congressional subpoenas, you know, that went after the Nixon tapes. Uh, And these really should mean something. But I think one of the things we've seen is a distortion in the balance of power between the executive branch and the legislative branch. Congress has the power to subpoena in any area in which it can legislate. And so the subpoenas that they issued against Don McGahn and Donald Trump, Steve Mnuchin, all these people... I think they allowed Donald Trump to slow walk them and members of his administration to the point where they they were rendered moot. And so I think that the real fix to me is legislation, Congress should enact legislation that puts deadlines on their own congressional subpoenas. Somebody must comply within seven days. If you want to contest it in the court, you can do that within another, you know, 14 days. And the court has to decide in 30 days, whatever it is, you know, put some numbers on those things so that um, you can't slow walk it the way Trump did. I mean, he pushed it and he took it up to the court and he knew it'd be like, you know, a year delay. And then he would file some different challenge on it. And so I think that we need to see some, you know, sometimes you don't anticipate this abuse until it happens. And then you have to pivot and adjust. And I think one way to do that is for Congress to put some teeth into its subpoena power. I'm for that. But to be clear, we're just talking about congressional subpoenas against members of the executive branch. Mm -hmm. Whereas if Bonnie Burns gets that congressional subpoena that I've been angling for, she has to go, right? Yeah, well, the thing that uh, Trump has asserted where it does get a little bit complicated is because the Constitution contemplates the separation of powers. So, yeah, most people get a subpoena and they show up and they comply. And the Department of Justice can even file charges against someone if they're in contempt, if Bonnie were to fail to show up for her subpoena. But when it's the executive branch, Think about the that, Justice Burns. Department Don't stood down. Don't fuck with because- me. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it was Donald Trump's Justice Department, so they didn't they didn't bring charges for oh, contempt Lord. against him. There is a, a genuine dynamic between the executive branch and the legislative branch where neither one, you know, should be overshadowing the power of the other. And that's why typically the two branches rely on what's referred to as um the accommodation and negotiation process where they say, well, I know you've asked for the sun and the moon, but um, the executive doesn't want to give you the sun and the moon. Would you settle for just the sun? Uh, yeah, we want the sun, but how about half the moon? Eh, we'll give you a quarter of the moon, you know, and then you reach some sort of agreement and, and you turn it over. Um, in this case, you know, as Trump said famously, you know, we're fighting all the subpoenas. There was no recognition of the co-equal branch of government that is the legislature. You know, it was just all about protecting himself and i think was in that bar way, subpoenaed to testify he showed up when he was subpoenaed before congress oh huh yeah oh well, you- so you had that going for you yeah still yeah. uh let's be a valuable lesson to bonnie burns um all right well um okay adam okay, Paula. <laughs> okay, Barbara. thank you Barbara. thank you adam thank you paula barbara okay. mcquade thank you so so much yeah barbara that was excellent and what we're going to do now is we're going to take 
all that information that we've just accrued and put it through the old Poundstonator. Paula? Uh, house band Max Bouvery, you are killing it on that electric guitar. Thank you. Now, if I could ask a little more of you, could you give me a little background music and I'll tell you what the old Poundstonator spit out? Barb McQuaid was amazing. She must be a great professor because she explained everything so clearly and with such a love for the law. She's the Della of 2021. And boy, she's right about the term reasonable. It was part of the genius of the Constitution. It turns out it may have also been a part of the way they thought. I happen to have found a transcript of the Constitutional Convention. Here, I'll read it. George Mason. Hello, Mr. Washington. For a second, I thought I had the wrong day. George Washington, that's reasonable. But no, no, Mr. Mason, come on in. The others will be here shortly. What is that you've got there? George Mason, nothing, sir. It's just a jar. I'm trying to find a way to keep the lid on tight. George Washington, well, that's reasonable. Uh, Mr. Morris, welcome. Mr. Franklin, what are you doing on that litter? Ben Franklin, my gout's acting up. I couldn't get up the stairs without bearers. George Washington, that's reasonable. Other delegates have streamed in and seated themselves. George Washington continues. Thank you all for coming to our last day of meeting on our new constitution. Today, we vote. All delegates, that's reasonable. George Washington, Mr. Mason, could you stop messing around with that jar and pay attention? What are you doing? George Mason, I was just thinking, maybe people could drink out of these. <laughs> All delegates, that's reasonable. My name is Alexander Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton. Na 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 na. George Washington, Hamilton! Alexander Hamilton, what, sir? George Washington, I can't hear myself think. Alexander Hamilton, sorry, sir. George Washington, if I could have your attention again, please. I just want to be sure, before we commit ourselves, what if a president becomes a demagogue in a future two-party system and members of the Congress from the president's party act only in the interest of their own power instead of the interest of the country. All delegates, that's not reasonable at all. Washington's been nipping from Mason's jar. <laughs> she is a law professor at the University of Michigan, former U.S. attorney and co-host of the podcast Hashtag Sisters in Law. Thank you so much, Barbara McQuaid, everybody. Yeah. Barbara, that was wonderful. Well, thanks very much, Adam and Paula and Bonnie. It was really my pleasure to join you. Thanks so much. It, it was, was great so having great. you. Thank you so much. Da 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 Coming up, Adam Felber once said, people who show up in familiar quotations are a bunch of losers. I kind of regret saying that now. Time for our quote party right after the break. <laughs> Fun fact, about 2,000 rainstorms occur on Earth every minute. But it's only 37 per minute if you don't count picnics. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And we're back. Wow, that was a that was a real fun time with Barbara McQuaid, wasn't it? There? That was great. Adam, yeah. Adam, you know what I was just thinking? What? Who will buy a pound of worms oh. for Paula? <laughs> Who will buy a pound of red wrigglers? Who will buy a pound of worms for Paula and put yeah. them in a bin to poop? Adam Felber will, Adam Felber will, yes, because yes. he lost the bet about Oliver, because he had no faith at all. Adam Felber wow. will buy the worms for Paula. Adam Felber will pay with a pound. Adam Felber will cough up the worms, and I will enjoy the sound. That's wanna, fantastic, Paula. I want to thank again the nobodies, Ben Leon, Robin Josephs, Joseph Medeiros, Kendall Salter, Budicia, Zach Moore, Jeff Walter, and Scott Lutz. You are somebodies to us. That's right. That's a, a lot of you. When I said I didn't think she'd get two Olivers, there's a lot of Olivers out there. This this podcast, the nobodies are made of Olivers, and we do appreciate it. And uh, Paula, I would get you those Red Wrigglers right away, but there is a Red Wriggler shortage here in Weehawken. Oh, ooh, so boy. So we're going to have to Bad wait till I get there. back to California. Yeah, just terrible, yeah. terrible timing. But as soon yeah. as I get back to California, I, I got that for you. I appreciate it, because boy, did you lose that bet. Yeah, yeah, we don't have to dwell on that, but I definitely lost that bet. You uh, you lost that bet, boy. You went, Timber, you went down. I, I did go down in yeah. regards to that bet. Yeah. We don't have yeah. to dwell on I, it. It's just like, I never seen anybody lose a bet that badly. I mean, that was <laughs> some kind of bet losing that you did there. Woo. Well, it was an ordinary bet. One person said this and the other person said, no, not that. And then this was the case. That's all. Oh, yeah. But I mean, it was ordinary until the point at which you lost, in which case it was not ordinary anymore. OK, Woo. good. OK, good. Well, we've had a lot happen. Extraordinary we've had a lot happen here. Yeah. Well, there's been extraordinary losses all over lately. I mean, uh, don't forget, Tony Anita Hull apparently lost her brand new husband. That's nothing compared to the way you lost that bet, man. You just. Well, you take that up with the widow Whoa. Hull when you talk to her. Yeah. The Widow Hull. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we should call from here on in, the Widow Hull. <laughs> the Widow Hull. <laughs> Adam, answer the phone. What? Answer the phone. No, Paula, really? Okay. Yeah, answer the phone. I'm going to pick up the phone in five. Do I really have to do this, Paula? Answer the phone. All right. Um, Hello? Hello, Adam. Howdy do. It's me, Nan Mumford, calling from the great state of Maine. Nan, Nan, how are you? How are you? Oh, I can't complain. Well, it could, but what good <laughs> would it do me? Yeah, um, Nan, did you call for a reason? Yep, I did. Certainly did. Okay, Nan, I don't want to <laughs> seem rude, but uh, we're trying to make a podcast. I mean, I'm happy to answer any question you might have called with. Oh, you don't seem rude at all to me. I had an uncle who was very rude, Uncle Lester. Wouldn't even go to the dump on Sunday morning to talk to folks. He claimed he had no trash to drop off, but that's not the point, is it? Uh, no, I I, I guess not, Nan. Never guess, my friend. There's an old expression. When you guess, you make a, 
a guh of <laughs> E and S. I think that only works with assume, Nan. Well, then just don't guess. There can't be an expression for everything. Sometimes you've just got to remember not to do something that you're not supposed to do. Boy, you sure did lose that bet. Yeah, thank you, Nan. I didn't realize there was anything wrong with guessing. There is. There is. If you don't want to sink up to your teeth in the mud, you got to know that the ground beneath you is solid. Oh, well, it was good talking to you, Nan, but, uh, hey, look, at the, I, I better get going. Uh, call again sometime. Well, I guess I'll let you go, Lester. Have Lester. a good podcast. <laughs> Bye, Nan. Wow, she conflated me with her uh, rude Uncle Lester at the end there. I wonder if that was a subtle, flinty, New Englandy message there. Bye, Adam. Oh, uh, bye, Nan. I already said goodbye. Are you still there, Nan? Oh, yeah. Yeah, when you say bye, customarily, uh, you hang up the phone. Oh, it's different in Maine. W what happens in Maine? We take our time. We just take our time in Maine, you know. Yeah? We can have two cars on a road in Maine and have a traffic jam. We just take our time. <laughs> Well, that's good to know. But, Nan, we really do have to move along with this podcast. So uh, I'm going to say goodbye to you. Goodbye. Bye, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, whether Nan hangs up or not, uh, for everybody else here on the line. Um, I'm hanging up now. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. Goodbye, Nan. And she's gone. Bye, Adam. Bye, Nan. <laughs> I'm just going to assume you're going to hang up at some point, Nan. That's I'm what I'm assuming. Up. I'm hanging up now, Adam. It was good uh, checking in with you. Good to talk to you. And we're finally done. All right. It's time to move on. And what it is time to move on to is quote party. It's a quote party. A quote. I think you might wow. be um, voluming out there. Yeah, I don't think there's a microphone in the world that wouldn't uh, wouldn't have succumbed to Captain Redline over there. That was that was that was large. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow, quote say. party theme song. Let's never do that again. <laughs> But let's do the quote party. And the quote party is a pretty simple thing. Everybody brings a familiar or surprising and interesting quotation from some famous person. And uh, as long as she was just singing, let's start. Oh, no. <laughs> Way up north in California. South of me, though. Bonnie Burns, what have you brought to the quote party? It's Jim it's Morrison's quote little sister. Party. A quote party. <laughs> Bonnie, are you I blowing did. that one so hard because you don't have a quote? Yeah, I don't think I did. You had one okay. job, Bonnie. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's the thing. I have two. And I don't think either one of them is going to really make the grade. But here we go. So on Facebook, Tyler posted... 
you know, because we just did the show with Susan B. Anthony. He posted mm -hmm. a pretty stern picture of Susan B. Anthony. I thought it was, you know, really great. She had her hair put back in a bun. And uh, one of our nobodies posted, I have to look it up, so... Hold on. I put it on here. Oh, so for I could... God's sake. I know. Go ahead. Say my name three times. Bonnie, 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 Bonnie. Hold on. <laughs> what a, I don't even know what's just happening here. Okay, just hold either. on a minute. Hold I, on. I'm, she's going on okay, Facebook. Here it is. No, no, no. Okay. To find a nobody's quote. Jeff Young. Above. Here, yeah, this was his quote. He put up, okay, so the picture was up there, Susan B. Anthony, and this is what he said. Bad Gouda won't get past those specs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish I would. Uh, uh, nobody named Jeff Young apparently posted uh, a response to uh, Tyler's uh, uh, picture of Susan B. Anthony, and he said Bad Gouda would not get past her spectacles. <laughs> and I wish I wish I had had. The advantage of Captain Culpepper having spectacles in that case. Captain Culpepper, why is he uh, is he uh, having a bad time right now? Well, no, he's uh, uh, no, he's not having a bad time. He's uh, six feet under. Oh, he's dead. I knew that. Back in my mind, I feel like we've discussed this once or twice before. We, I'm we so have. sorry to bring I've it up. I brought it to uh, your Mrs. attention Cole. many a time. Many oh, a I time. must have just missed it, uh, Mrs. Culpepper. Why would he care about this quote from our listener? Well, he, he was, uh, you see, he uh, he did not have spectacles, and he was not able to uh, prevent himself eating the bad Gouda. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that that led to his death? Uh, his death through a trial. I, I can never remember. Is it trial toxism or is it tyrotoxism? I can't remember. <laughs> It's, 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 it could be either at this point, Ms. Culpepper. <laughs> we don't have Tony Anita Hall with us. I'm worried to death about but her. that's the poisoning from milk or dairy products. Uh, uh, yeah, well, it, wait, is it, it's exactly right. It's the poisoning from uh, cheese or other dairy products. And in the captain's case, it was indeed a cheese. Specifically... It was the good of the him, yes. Mr. Philbo. <laughs> All right, now, uh, I want to turn my attention back to Bonnie Burns for a minute, because Bonnie... Uh, and I want to say this it, it, with all politeness. What the fuck? I know. Okay. I think it was well that's put. That's not a quote. It was very okay. well put. All right. So here's <laughs> that's the a, other that's one. something that we might see in mailbag at some yeah, point, but that's I not know. a quote. I just it's thought, not really a quote. Okay. Okay, Paula. Okay, Adam. Thank you, Paula. Thank Bonnie. you, Adam. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank so you, you didn't have a quote Bonnie. is what you're saying, Bonnie. Okay. Bonnie. Bonnie. Here's another one that might end up really embarrassing. All right. So none of these quotes should be embarrassing because they should be from someone significant I who would likely up. not be talking to any of us. I know, but there's a little backstory here. Don't get nervous, Adam. Okay, so my daughter on her Instagram page has this quote, walk like a king or walk like you don't care who the king is. And when I saw it, I thought, oh, that's pretty good. You know, show she's independent, doesn't care what people think. So I went today. I thought I'd use that as my quote. I went today to look it up, and it kind of looks like it's something that circulates on Instagram. And maybe, I don't know, I tried to find it. There was some guy whose name I couldn't pronounce. And then there's like some actor who said, walk like a king or walk like you don't 
give a fuck who the king is. And maybe it's not like as special as I thought. I don't know. And I hope I'm not embarrassed that this is a quote I mentioned. Huh. Oh, uh, I, hope I don't think you'll too. be embarrassed, but uh, no, yeah, yeah but you should be. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure you have that gear in your head. Yeah, uh, I don't think that's, in, that's, that's <laughs> not a tool in your drawer. Yeah, I don't think so. I have a quote. Um, okay, great. Let's do that because we're zero for two now. With it's not as good people. as it's not as good as either of Bonnie's. Okay. Um, Louis Gohmert, the uh, representative from Texas, Texas's first congressional district, said, "We've got some people who think Sharia law ought to be the law of the land. Forget the Constitution, but the guns are there. The Second Amendment is there to make sure all the rest of the amendments are followed." Wow. <laughs> That's uh, Louis Gohmert. He's in our House of Representatives, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. So if you try yeah. to stop me from publishing a newspaper, I can shoot you. That's what the guns are there for, <laughs> to make sure that all the other amendments are followed. That's why we have wow. guns. That's, I didn't realize. Quite a yeah. thing. So now when the police let, let go Let women vote or you could shoot them, the person who won't. <laughs> right, exactly. When the police go to investigate a crime now and they find the, you know, the person that they believe shot the gun maybe that killed somebody, you know, they'll say to them, what amendment was he not following? And, you know, oh man, they, you know, was free speech, wasn't allowing free speech. And they're, okay, that's what guns are for. That's, wow, the, way that was go- a good that's one. the way the cookie crumbles. That's fantastic. Well, well done, Paula. Louis Gohmert. Yeah, Texas. Institution. First congressional district representative right there in the Congress, this guy. Louis Gohmert. Wow. Well, see, Bonnie, that's how it's done. Paula, wow. Adam? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to ask if there's another quote, Adam? What? Well, I'm, I'm what, from Paula? <laughs> We all Paula. just had to bring one quote. You brought two things that were not quotes, yeah. and Paula brought a quote Mine from a person. A I don't, I, I don't Mine know what you. Mine was a quote. Mine was, it was a quote. A, no, one was a quote from a nobody who I, I love, but that's more of a mailbag item. And the other was a quote that you can't attribute to anyone because you don't know who said it. <laughs> that's an F, and it's also an F. Pick up your report card on your way out. But Paula, that was wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you. I want to thank everyone who made it possible. My manager, Bonnie Burns. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's keep going around the horn because we have some other people, some guest stars bringing quotes today. Tyler Burke. Paula might not know your name, but you're here. Are you, are you not? Yes, I am here. I am still sitting, still waiting for my treat. Mo, are you Excellent. there? Mo, do you have <laughs> a quote? Tyler, Paula. His name is Tyler. <laughs> Tyler. Tyler. <laughs> Uh, I do have a quote, and this uh, this is a classic. It's from Oscar Wilde, uh, and he said, "Always forgive your enemies; nothing annoys them so much." Oh, oh that's good. Oh. That is good. I don't know how my forgiveness is lately. <laughs> it's a little rusty, I guess. <laughs> I can, it could use some work, I suppose. Well, um, Paula, I forgive you for not remembering my name. So. Oh, well, look at that. Thank you, Toby. I so <laughs> appreciate that. And uh, if you were here with me, I would scritch you behind the ears. Swear, I swear to you, I'm not making it up. Through the door open, Tyler! And uh, my Doug Mo just looked at me. 
Um, all right, so uh, 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 Carly, Carly, our yeah. intern. You were gonna say Tyler. You were trying to say Tyler. I just, I, I panic over names. That's what happens yeah. to me. I just panic. That's why Southern older women call everyone honey because they don't know their name. Okay, absolutely. Oh, yeah. After a couple of juleps, everybody's honey. Go ahead, Carly. <laughs> Carly Patron, step on up to the mic. I have a very short one. I have a very short okay. quote that's up on my wall. And it's by Emily Dickinson. And it's forever is composed of nows. Forever oh. is composed Ooh. of nows. Ooh, that's good. It's always mm-hmm. now sometime. Exactly. Yeah. Live it up. Yeah. Was she a drinker? <laughs> Sounds like it. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Forever drinking. Yeah. <laughs> forever is composed of nows. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah. When she actually said it, it was like, forever is composed of nows. Just shut up. <laughs> uh oh, my phone's going off. Hold on. Oh, for Christ's sakes. It's been a bad technical day for me with phones. Okay. By the way, this Paula, is my Paula, answer the phone. That's my flip. Paula, answer <laughs> the I phone. Do I have to? Do I have to? Yes, answer the phone, Paula. That's my flip phone, and I got a text on my other phone from AT&T saying that they're not going to support my flip phone anymore. That could be AT&T calling me now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Carly, thank you for that fantastic quotation from Emily the, the Drinker Dickinson. Yeah, Emily... Uh, what do they call this, uh, the Lush? Emily Lush, Lush. Dickinson. <laughs> oh, Lushinson. my gosh. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I have a quote or two. Oh, good. One's really fun. One's more of a message I want to send out there. Let me do the message first. I found this one. I love it. It's uh, Jacob Bronowski, the Polish-British mathematician, long ago said- You don't said, have to tell me who Jacob Bronowski is. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. But, Paula, we have listeners who might not know. What the fuck? We don't have even one listener who doesn't know who Jacob Bernowski is. That's ridiculous. He's a Polish mathematician. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, he's a he's actually a Polish British mathematician. Polish British mathematician. Yeah. Oh my god. And you know, because of the time differences, the guy calls me in the middle of the night. And he'll be like, yeah. And he'll go, can you tell me the square root of three? And I'm like, fuck, Jake. Could you just let me sleep? You know, and he says, uh, you know, I'm in Poland and and Britain and I'm wide awake. Yeah. He's also long since dead. Oh. (laughs) Like not even recently, if I'm not mistaken. I think uh, if only Tony were here to Google it, but she's too busy. uh, She's in mourning. Uh, but um, <laughs> Oh my gosh, that freaks me out because he has been calling me. He really shouldn't have been. I think he died in like the 70s. Anyway, he said this. Science is the acceptance of what works and the rejection of what does not. That needs more courage than we might think. Ooh. And if you're out there in somebody, uh, uh, you know, out there in, in the United States of America right now and you can hear the sound of my voice, think about that as it relates to things like, I don't know, vaccines when you look at the stats. Yeah, that quote, I'm very familiar with it, because if you look carefully at the January 6th insurrection, you'll see that on the back of some of the flags that say on one side, don't tread on me. On the other side, it says that quote. Oh. That's kind of the opposite of what you'd think. Um, But here's one that's a little more uplifting or at least fun to think about. It's from Neil deGrasse Tyson. And, you know, he poses these little, you know, 
teasing mind things uh, sometimes. This one's really easy, but fun. A fun thought. Does it disturb anyone else that the Los Angeles Angels baseball team translates directly to the, the Angels, Angels? <laughs> what? Yeah, I see that. Yeah. The Los Angeles Angels, if you translate it from the Spanish, translates to the, the Angels, Angels. The, the Angels, Angels. Angels. Yeah. Yes, yeah. The, the Angels, Angels. Yeah. Pretty good one, right? Yeah, that is a good one. I had never thought about it before, but I can see where that could happen. Yeah, yeah, it could. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we go. And, uh, you know, not too bad. I have one more. (laughs) You've done enough. What do you want to bet? What do you want to bet it's not a quote at all? (laughs) I'm sure it's a quote, and I'm sure it's why she hasn't been participating that much in the quote party, because she's been Googling quotes. Yeah. Okay. Is that correct, Bonnie Burns? She's been cheating off someone else's paper. That's not correct. (laughs) Okay, here it is. You were great. Two hours of belly laughs. And that's from a fan of Paula's who, after she saw a show. That's not really a quote. God damn it, it, Bonnie. I knew it. I get another pound of worms. That was not a quote. I knew it. I should have gone with a million dollars. Damn it. Oh, my God. What havoc. What havoc have we unleashed? Well, I want to thank uh, most of you for making this a very successful quote party. Oh, it was a great quote party. Um, Except for that drunk woman that kept wandering through. Oh, wait. I forgot the song. What's it called? Quote party? What's the name of it? Yeah. Quote Quote party. But I... I think we're done. I think you're probably (laughs) singing it so impassionedly that it's not going to record. It's a quote party, quote party, quote, 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 quote party. Well, that was kinder. Hey, wow. everybody, that was fun. <laughs> hey, say there, nobody. If you have any questions or comments or you just want to explain to Bonnie what a famous quote is, send that to nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. Hey, Paula Poundstone, what's going on in your Poundstone product empire this week? Oh, my gosh, Adam. Of course, times have been tough for many businesses this past year and a half, but Poundstone Industries also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, has made a practice of looking at the road ahead to avoid any pitfalls. For example, my book, The Totally Unscientific Study of the Search for Human Happiness, practically anticipated the need for an aquifer of happiness to draw on during these difficult times. Book lists describes it this way. Smart, sweet, and laugh-out-loud funny bomb for exceedingly stressful times. Listeners should buy the book from their local bookstore, but if for any reason they don't have it, you can go to the store at paulapoundstone.com, and if you want me to autograph it, maybe drop me a note, and I will. You can also go to cameo.com slash paulap33 to order a custom video message to send to a friend, loved one, or the IRS, like this. Hi, IRS. It's me, Paula Poundstone, reaching out on behalf of Kathy. She says she couldn't possibly work without ice cream and wonders, therefore, how it's possible that ice cream isn't a business expense. I mean, junky monkey, what's going on over there? If you could make that adjustment, she'd really appreciate it. That's cameo.com slash Paula P33. There's so much more I could tell you, Adam, but you know. Heidi. Oh, do I know, Paula. <laughs> well, that's just wonderful. And you know what? I want to, uh, I have something to promote, Paula. What's that? 
Well, by the time you hear the sound of my voice, everybody, Adam Felber's new book will have been announced by William Morrow, an imprint of HarperCollins. It's a book I wrote with a Hollywood B-movie maker named Charles Band. It's called Confessions of a Puppet Master, a Hollywood memoir of ghouls, guts, and gonzo filmmaking. And this guy's life is so interesting. I spent the entire pandemic not telling you guys about it, but, well, I told you offline, writing a book with this B-movie maker who has had this incredibly fascinating life. I want to read one blurb from the book. This one's from uh, director John Carpenter who uh, you might remember directed Halloween and They Live and The Fog and The Thing, he wrote this. Charlie is one of those guys who never experiences failure because he just moves on to the next thing. They say when the atomic bomb goes off, all that will be left behind will be cockroaches. And I think the other survivor will be Charles Band. Ooh, nice. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, you can't believe how just batshit fun and insane this guy's life has been. And that book will be released on November 16th of this very year. But I urge all you nobodies to get onto your Amazons and book nooks and whatnot and uh, pre-order it now. Cool. That's so great. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's it cool is. Too. Yeah, I can't wait to tell you guys more about the book. Subscribe to this podcast. It's free. You'll get it every week at no charge. If there's a subject or topic you want to know more wait about. Wait a minute. Back up, back up, back up. People can subscribe to this podcast and get it for free? <laughs> That's right. And you won't cause junk mail or anything else. It's just the subscribe button just means I want this to drop into my phone or computer every time a new episode comes out. That's all it means. Oh. Yeah. I'm so glad you're clear on that now. Anyway, yeah. email us at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone <laughs> at gmail.com. And that's our show. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone <laughs> and yours truly, Adam DeFelber. Special thanks to our guest, Barbara McQuaid. Yeah, she was Yay! great. Yeah. yeah. And the house band, Max Bouvry. Yay! Yeah. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie, I don't know what a quote is, Burns, Ken Lazemnik, and Tony Anita Hull. <laughs> Intern is Carly Patron. Starburst production by Land Romo and Sam Dunwald. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? I mean, it's it's just a quote. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are literally dozens of places in books and the internet. It, it's it's an yeah. easy concept. <laughs> yeah. You know, Bonnie is is a very creative sort of free thinker. Easy concepts, though, don't go down well with her. <laughs> Wow, she dropped back 15 yards and punted that behind her. Yeah, you should see her try to open a door. It's um, <laughs> Why, just easy happens? concepts, not so good. Stuck just not her area. Yeah. yeah, can you imagine like being a teacher having her in class when she was young? Oh my God. Yeah. I would have just bought a rubber stamp that says, see me. <laughs> yeah. Whenever I came across yeah. the Burns paper, I'd just stamp it. Yeah. You know how you were supposed to fill out like the SRA tests and stuff with a number two pencil? She yeah. always brought in two number one pencils. You see, always. you can't do that. That's <laughs> no, not the same no. thing. It's, no. Of course it isn't, but it's yeah. it's just, you know, sh here she comes. Here she comes. I, I heard one time she brought a number three pencil and then broke a number one pencil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a true Oh, you're right. Oh, She's coming. Hide, hide, hide. Yeah. Put your head down. Okay. Put your head down. Okay, wait. I have another one. I have another one. <laughs> no, you don't! 
I do. Another An quote? An amusing and surprisingly personal search for the key to happiness. That's about Paula's book. That's a review. And you said a quote. Uh, oh, I don't know. It was a review of her book. <laughs> God damn it, Bonnie. And this is our fade out, too. Herman Melville said it, which I'm surprised by because we did not go easy on Moby Dick. No, we did not. Stop and A podcast. <clears throat> A podcast network. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.